Hey everybody, this is James Lindsay. You are listening to New Discourses Bullets, where I take apart one topic from woke Marxism that we need to understand so that we can fight it and beat it. And today I want to talk about mystification. Mystification is one of the uh, favorite words of Marx and Marxists. They believe that ideologies like capitalism mystify what's really going on. Uh, I can tell you, like, for example, from uh, George Lukács writing in, in History and Class Consciousness, the normal shifts of perspective produced by the capitalist point of view in the image of economic structure of societies tends to, quote, obscure and mystify the true origins of surplus value, quoting from Marx there. In the normal, purely theoretical view, this mystification only attaches to the organic composition of capital, to the place of the employer, and the productive system, and the economic function of interest, etc. That is, it does no more than highlight the failure of observers to perceive the true driving forces that lie beneath the surface when it comes to this practice. When it comes to practice, this mystification touches upon the central fact of capitalist society, the class struggle. Just an example, it doesn't really matter what is being said there that much. What I want to say is that for the Marxists, they believe that the overarching ideologies of uh, capitalism or with race Marxism, white supremacy, or with queer theory, um, the elevation of the normal, which they would call normativity, or specifically heteronormativity, or cis-normativity, or cis-heteronormativity, that normal people are, are uh, normal. These ideologies mystify the true nature of reality, which they are uncovering. Marx billed himself as somebody who was peeling back the layers of ideology. In fact, he claimed that Marxism was, in fact, the one thing that's not an ideology because it's the anti-ideology. And so I want you to learn, the point of this podcast is not to dive deeply into what mystification is about. I want you to learn what it feels like because then you can start to know where you need to question more and dig more and do something more than take what's on the surface that's being given to you. And once you start getting skeptical, when you feel the mystification happening, you can get skeptical and dig in. And once that happens, you can start to break through the mystification because as we all know, the iron law of woke projection never misses. When Marx says that the other ideologies of the world mystify the true nature of reality so that people are caught up in believing that the capitalist society is normal or the normalness of society is normal for queer theory or that what they call white supremacy is normal, just a normal state of affairs in critical race theory. Uh, if you read from, if we all remember from the uh, first paragraph or first couple of paragraphs, I guess, of critical race theory and introduction, by Richard Delgado, it says that, that the idea is that, you know, uh, systemic racism is the normal state of affairs for society. And of course, that this is considered normal mystifies people. What they're actually doing is they are mystifying you when they say these things. They are not pointing out a mystification of society. They are using arguments to mystify people. It's literally like a magic trick. And I want people to know when the magic trick is being done to you because there are magicians and you go and you watch them and that's great. You get entertained, you've paid to go, they, you know, they're tricking you, but it's kind of awesome. In fact, it's mystifying and fascinating and you're having a good time and you paid for that. But on the other hand, what if it was a guy who was doing a magic trick like three card Monty to rob you? 
right? What if they are doing some kind of a illusion to mystify you so you don't know what's happening and suddenly you've lost your watch or your wallet? That's more what's happening with Marxists. They are mystifying people with twisted arguments that are very difficult to see through. You know they're obscuring some facet of reality that matters. You know they are blending contexts so that two things that are different are treated as though they are the same. But you can't always see how they're doing it. And you end up in this state of mystification where they get to mug you uh, and, and advance their policy agendas, take power, humiliate you, belittle you, discredit you, whatever it happens to be. And so they are mystifying in order to advance their Marxist agenda. And our job is to become skeptical of that and then learn how the mystifications work and then expose the mystifications. Because if it's a magic trick, if I show you how the magic trick works, it's not a magic trick anymore and it doesn't fool you. If I show you how you're going to be robbed, you know to avoid the game and to do something different to expose it and shut it down. And that is what we need to do. But that begins with being able to tell when you're being mystified. And then only after you realize that you're being pulled into what we might call the wizard circle, the circle of mystification, which is really dialectical space, as we'll talk about in, in more in the future, and I've talked about some in the past, when you're pulled into that space, you can't tell what's true, you can't tell what's good, you can't tell what's right, you can't tell what's wrong, because in that space, those things don't matter. They've been mystified. They're confused. So I want you to learn to identify the feeling of being mystified. That's what this is about. It's not about whatever's in history and class consciousness, or I could pull out some examples from, you know, Marx's own writing or whatever. Here's an example that is very mystifying. Okay, this is actually from the Bostock decision, the recent Supreme Court decision, the Bostock decision about it's the, the colloquial belief is that it's about gay marriage. Um, and so here is what Justice Gorsuch wrote and he's been mystified and you're going to hear the mystification because the sensation that you're going to have is that you're being mugged by words that you know something must be wrong but you have no idea how to tell what's wrong and you're like damn that's a good argument for something i know can't be right and you don't know how to unwind it and our job is to identify that feeling so we know we have to work harder at it and then when we identify the feeling to drill on the edges until we can pierce through the circle of mystification then we can expose what it is then we can get clear thought then we can get better jurisprudence than this because he's talking actually about the transgender issue in this decision and he is rendering the majority opinion here and he writes or take an employer who fires a transgender person who was identified as a male at birth but who now identifies as a female if the employer retains an otherwise identical employee who was identified as female at birth the employer intentionally penalizes a person identified as male at birth for traits or actions that it tolerates in an employee identified as female at birth. Again, the individual employee's sex plays an unmistakable and impermissible role in the discharge decision. This is a mystification, I'm assuming not done by a nefarious actor, but by somebody who is himself mystified. You, it's a very convincing argument. Okay, wow, we can't discriminate on sex. That's okay, that's title, I think, seven in this case. Yeah, it says Title Seven. This isn't Title Nine for for schools. And what we have is a situation. We, we we have somebody who is being fired for uh, identifying as the opposite sex. 
we would tolerate identifying as a female in a female, but we won't identi uh, tolerate identifying as a female in a male. And so the fundamental thing is at the bottom, at the end of the day, that it's the fact of maleness or female femaleness, in other words, sex, that determines whether or not we tolerate the behavior of identifying as a female. And that weird feeling you get like, shit, that's a good argument. I don't know how to get around that. That's mystification. That's when you've been mystified. And as you can see, I don't think Gorsuch is actually an operative for the other side. I mean, maybe he is. I think it's likely that he's mystified, which means mystification memes in the sense that Richard Dawkins meant in the selfish gene. What, that, what I mean by that is mystification is contagious. He picks up the mystification and then he passes along the mystification to other people because the argument fooled him and he repeats it. So could you catch where the mystification is? There's a lot of places, as it turns out here, that there is mystification. So here, here's what got obscured, because it seems like a decent argument, at least if you're kind of not paying close attention. Here's something that a woman can do and employment will be tolerated, but a man cannot do or vice versa, right? So therefore, it's discrimination based on sex. It's only the fact of the matter that the transgender individual has a sex trait that therefore leads them to, to be dismissed in this situation. But this is there are, there are so many ways to cut through this. And the point, though, of this podcast, once again, is not to cut through it. I'm going to cut through it in a number of ways to show you that this is a very bad argument. But the point is I want you to learn to identify that feeling of mystification where you think, wow, that's a good argument for something I know is wrong. That's the essence. That's a good argument for something I know is wrong. And when you feel that, you immediately need to start working harder. You can't give in and say, okay, you need to say, I need to think about that and go home and think about it. And you make no decisions until you are absolutely clear on why you have this, this, this dissonance between knowing that it's got to be wrong and yet not being able to, to pierce the argument. In other words, no decision gets made until you pierce, pierce the argument because you're making a decision within mystification otherwise, where right and wrong, true and false, good and evil become impossible to tell. They become subjective determinations. So here's where it, where it goes, right? The employer intentionally penalizes a person identified at, as male at birth for traits or actions that it tolerates and an employee identified as female at birth. No, that's not true. The female is not identifying as male. So it is the identification with the opposite sex that is the activity that's not being tolerated. And because you can't actually be the other sex, this is literally not just endorsing a delusion in yourself, but it's requiring other people to endorse the delusion along with you. And that's typically the firing offense. So no, it doesn't matter the person's sex at all. See, so now you, once you stare at it long enough and read it, you can cut through it. You can cut straight through it. It doesn't matter what the sex is. It is the behavior of identifying as the sex that you are not that is being considered intolerable, which is sex blind. But this is actually worse than this. This is actually worse than this. There is actually a, a what's called functional contradiction here in, in Gorsuch's mystification. But of course there's a contradiction because mystification rests on making a contradiction seem like it's invisible. That's the whole idea. Now you see how different it is once you cut through it, once you actually identify the real behavior. But here's where this gets worse as a functional contradiction, which means something that it's an argument that undercuts itself. At the end of the day, what this argument is saying, if we especially transport it over into the next fight, which is in Title IX, take the idea of a sex-segregated space like a woman's locker room. 
and think of somebody like Riley Gaines, who, you know, with their swimming and they, they had the, the, the character calling himself Leah Thomas, whose name is William, you see. William is spelled W-I-L-L-I-A, Leah M. So Leah was always inside William from the beginning, and don't you want to groan about that? But had to tolerate this, um, as she puts it, six foot, 22-year-old, six foot four, fully intact male, uh, having and exposing male parts. Uh, in the locker room, nobody was warned about it. And um, I'm not going to get into her whole story, but the point is that we have a we have this problem of men being able to enter women's spaces because they identify as female. They put on a dress or whatever, and now they're a girl. And we all know that there's something very badly wrong with that, but this argument transfers over. The only reason is that we wouldn't tolerate you know, we allow women in there because we allow women in there. But if a man identifies as a woman, the only reason we're not allowing him in there, even though he identifies as a woman, is in fact because he's male. So it's sex discrimination, right? And so Title IX is going to be able to go the same way as Title Seven here with the Civil Rights Act. But this isn't the problem in the act. The problem is in the understanding, the jurisprudence on the act. It's this mystified logic that's being used because it is not the same thing. It in fact is not. But let's take... Gorsuch's argument to, the, to its conclusion, you can already see through it. No, the behavior that's being excluded is identifying as the sex that you're not, right? That's the key behavior. So there is no discrimination because anybody could do that. We see trends in both directions plus into random other directions like non-binary and other third sex and other xenosexes made up things, xenogenders or whatever, like tree self where they identify as a tree or furries and they identify or other kin where they identify as a wolf or something like that. That's not the case. You can see through that it's actually the behavior, but here's the performative contradiction here. So sex segregated spaces like women's locker rooms only exist on the predicate that sex exists first. You can't segregate a space by sex if sex doesn't exist. But when you say that it's a discriminatory act to exclude somebody who identifies as the other sex because of their sex, because it's in fact true that they're male entering into female space, what you're saying in fact is that sex is a, is a, is a vacant category. It's a, it's a hollow category. It has no real content to it. There's no essential quality to sex whatsoever. It's merely performative, and now you've accepted the whole woke nonsense, or it's merely behavioral, or it's merely even mental, a concept of, of, of self-identification, which means the category of sex itself is hollowed out. And once the category of sex becomes hollowed out and meaningless, you cannot possibly conclude that there was discrimination based on sex if the result, the, the process of your argument says that sex doesn't actually mean anything. The sex-segregated space can only be segregated on sex if there is sex. But then to say, no, here's all these reasons why if you just identify as the other sex, so it's a non-essential category, you, 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 you can therefore transgress this. So sex now has a completely fluid meaning, a completely arbitrary or mental meaning or social meaning or con contrived meaning. Then all of a sudden, sex become, doesn't become a basis upon which you can or cannot discriminate. And so you can't claim that there's discrimination based on sex if your argument depends on saying that sex doesn't matter, which is what the logic of this mystified opinion does. So this is why I've spoken in the past and written in the past about the need to rouse the American judiciary for people to get clear on this concept of mystification and how woke people 
give arguments to mug reality or mug us of reality, really. And we hear this, this mystified circumstance in Gorsuch's opinion. And so what I want, again, the point of this podcast, what I want you to do is to start to learn to feel that situation when it comes up. I want you to learn to feel what it feels like to be mystified by a Marxist argument. And you will. And they, I'm really good at this at this point. I'm not going to be falsely modest about it. I'm really good at this. And they mystify me at first, too, when I encounter them. But I'm now attuned to the feeling of being mystified, knowing that the argument seems sound, but something is wrong. And then I spend time thinking about it, drilling into it until I can find ways to cut through and escape the circle of mystification, to escape the dialectical space where we're arguing about the wrong things and allowing them to move the ball. So that's what I want you to, to be able to do, to feel that you've heard what sounds like a good argument for something you know is wrong. Now you're being mystified. It is your duty at that point to start looking at what words mean, start digging into the circumstance, start trying to get down to the essential core if you want to be able to cut through. And now not everybody's going to be great at that, but it's essential that we get some people who are good at it because the second one person can cut through it, the whole magic trick goes away. It's like that show where Penn and Teller used to sit there and watch magicians. And if the magicians could actually fool them, could do the trick without them being able to guess how they did the trick, they won some prize. But if they, you know, Penn and Teller are very, very seasoned illusionists. So they'd sit there and then they would try to explain the trick. And if they could explain the trick, you know, the magician didn't win the prize. We need lots of people who operate like Marx, Marxist mystification pen and tellers who can sit there and cut through the mystification and explain the mystification and get down to the essential core of the argument so that we don't continue to have Supreme Court justices who are on the conservative side of things even falling for the mystification and passing bad jurisprudence that advances leftist agendas that are actually going to destroy our country. So become attuned to, become awake to, become not comfortable with, but aware of, and uh, the, the feeling of mystification. Don't run away from the dissonance that it causes to be in the mystified state. Instead, dig as hard as you can when you detect it. Make no decisions in the mystified state whatsoever. Don't go along. Don't agree to anything. Demand time and space to think about it, to work, your, to work it out, and work as hard as you can to cut through to get to the argument that unveils the place where the truth is being hidden by the mystifying argument. If we continue to do this and get better and better at this, they take we take away overwhelmingly the lion's share of their power and we can actually stop them. <laughs>